You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Today is Part 2 in our second series on Nicholas Meyer, this one looking at his movie career. Um, and we're going to be talking about his first movie, Time After Time, uh, which is an H.G. Wells and Jack the Ripper time travel story. Spoilers. <laughs> Today, we are joined once again by Augie Alexi of Centuries and Sleuths Bookstore. How's it going, Augie? Very good, very good. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah. Um, now, just for people who didn't hear the last episode, uh, can you briefly talk about your store, what it is? Um, yes, we specialize in history and mystery books and biography. And kind of call ourselves a proactive book. One of the themes or mottos is that the place that makes history and mystery come alive, because we do have performances here, uh, we have authors, we have discussion groups both in history and mystery. So it's unique in that sense that it's not just a retail shop, it's a, a place where, you know, I'm looking for people who really can get involved or want to get involved in what they're reading and expressing their points of view. Uh, I don't want to dissuade anybody who just wants to buy a book and get out of here. That's fine, too. But uh, most of the activities we have are um, getting people who are involved in history, mystery, and biography. It is a really cool bookstore, I have to say. And, uh, you know... You don't have to say it. Okay, I don't have to say. You're not required by law. No, <laughs> but, but it is it is cool. But last time we were here, and I'm not required to say that by law. <laughs> last time we were here was for the sort of mystery element with uh, Sherlock Holmes, and this time we're here more for the history side of it with Jack the Ripper. Because everyone knows who did that. <laughs> now, well, okay, I guess he falls under. So both. it's still a mystery. Okay, this is even more appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> so you're what they call a ripperologist, correct? Kind of, yes. Which means you <laughs> love Undegreed, Jack undegreed. the Ripper. <laughs> Uncertified. So you love Jack the Ripper. You're a huge fan of his work. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. I'd be. Uh, I'd say a big fan trying to find out who the hell he is or who he was. Okay. I hope. <laughs> and I take it you've you've read many theories oh, and yes. Do yes. you do you have a uh, a particular theory that you um. I probably think it would be like an insignificant person that could have gotten away with things like that. I love the idea of it being the Duke of Clarence or um, maybe even Dr. Gull, uh, mm-hmm. who was you know the surgeon to the royal family uh, with a problem. Um, but it was probably, I mean, a person who could walk the s- streets of the uh, East End without being noticed with blood on their body or a fresh set of new clothes. Um, so, yeah, in fact, I have one of my friends who, who's passed away, Richard Moore, So that was the first question he was going to ask St. Peter <laughs> when he got up there, you know. So uh, since this is a Star Trek show, you know, we've talked on the last episode about how you're not, you know, like a huge Star Trek fan or anything mm. like that. But um, there is an episode of the original series called Wolf in the Fold, yes, which deals with Jack the Ripper. It was actually written by uh, Robert Block, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I've read his, 
Yeah. yeah. His book on the Ripper too. Oh, he he wrote a book on the Ripper. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, I didn't I didn't even know that. So have you seen that episode? Yes. Yes. Uh, what 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 do you think about it? I really I enjoyed it, especially the person who wound up being or taking on the character of Jack the Ripper. You wouldn't have expected it. All right. Well. Um, Time After Time is Nicholas Meyer's first movie, and uh, it's about, um, well, H.G. Wells creates uh, a time machine in which uh, he, yeah. Jack the Ripper uses it to escape from the authorities and travel to um, modern-day San Francisco, which would be 1979. Into a timeline in which H.G. Wells didn't write the time machine. But he actually made created one. it, yeah. And um, so. now H.G. Wells must follow him through time to stop him. Augie, what, what are your uh, general thoughts on Time After Time? Are you a fan? It, it plays with one another. One of my favorite subjects is time travel. Because, mm-hmm. again, we have the performances of Meeting of Minds where we have historical characters come and talk to me or talk to the moderator I have. So this this is kind of... I don't know if I would have chose that character to come come back, but no, I think it's 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 thrilling, it's exciting, um, and you know some of the psychological, again perspectives on this. Like I mean, as I said before, uh, the character of Jack the Ripper was in heaven when he saw, you know, the loose living um, of the nineteen seventies. I like the subject matter of Jack the Ripper. I like the setting with the concept of time travel. And there's not, it doesn't take too much of an opportunity, but there were things that you could double check in the history books Hmm. to see, and especially when it came to, uh, was it Mary Steenburgen that played his wife? Mm -hmm. And that character... Spoilers. (laughs) ...was really, you know, was really true. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the name of his wife, and she was a social, you know, social activist, women's rights. Now, if I'm right, she played a bank clerk, didn't she? In, yeah. In this? She, okay. Yeah. So it's like she didn't get her inspiration until she met H.G. Wells. So right. that much I didn't investigate further. I mean, I got what I wanted to know out of my investigation. No, but it's um, it's an enjoyable, enjoyable piece of work. Yeah. There are several sequences in that movie where H.G. Wells finds himself in the future of, of politics and uh, and doesn't know exactly how far things have progressed. My favorite is is when, you know, he says, I supported women's liberation. And and she says, you don't anymore? And he's like, uh, and you can see him trying to figure out how to respond. Like, um, no, of, of course I still do because it's an ongoing process and not completed yet. It's like, yeah. it's a really funny moment. And and it's the kind of bizarre comedy that could only happen from this context. So you're you're a fan of it too, Max? I'm a fan of a lot of things about this movie. Yeah. The design of the time machine, I am not a fan of. Okay. It's, it's always been an ugly device. I don't know why everybody seems to think that, that giant wheel is a good idea. <laughs> but, you know, aside from aside from a few, you know, minor um, problems here and there uh and the awkwardness of the pacing which is mostly a time thing. It's sort of a, a relic of that particular moment in cinema. Uh, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I, I'm also a, a, a pretty big fan of this movie. Um, 
I, I think more than anything, it's a lot of fun, just the idea of, you know, the sort of the fish out of water concept of, um, you know, uh, taking these these characters from 19th century and bringing them into the present day, you know, where like the world is familiar to us, but the characters are, you know, sort of alien. I, I think that that's a, a concept which, which works pretty well. And it's something which works so well that Meyer decided to do the exact same thing over again, which we'll get into uh, a little bit later. But uh, in in a lot of ways, this is kind of a, a cousin of Meyer's first novel or second novel, the the Seven Percent Solution. It was actually based on a story by uh, um, I think his name is Carl Alexander, um, who was friends with with Meyer and. He said that he took inspiration from 7% Solution when writing his book. And I think that's kind of interesting that his you know, first work, at least in, time, in terms of writing, as, as an author and then his first movie, are, you know, a pair. Well, let's talk about Jack the Ripper. Um, Augie, now I know, obviously being time time travel involved and and whatnot this is not an accurate portrayal of jack the ripper and i know that the uh if i'm if i'm not mistaken the character is is a fictional character would like the image john john lewis stevenson is that what they they call it? but given the known facts about jack the ripper <laughs> does the no <laughs> well no. Let, me, let me just ask given the known facts about jack the ripper does this story like fit into those I, I agree with Max on that. He's, it's it's uh, Meyer's imagination. On that part, maybe he could have done a, done a little bit more work. I mean, he could have. Um, and also, it doesn't surprise you that this person in the 18, was it 1889, 88 or whatever, this character was mm-hmm. in the circle of H.G. Wells, mm-hmm. um, which could I mean, if he could have played on that a little bit, bit better, but yeah, no. And I, if I'm right, wouldn't you say this is the first time David Warner played a villain in a major motion picture? Because I think he played in one of the um, Christmas carols. He played Bob Cratchit. Did he? Oh. I, yeah, I mean, I guess this would be the earliest. The earliest. And then you see him in Star Trek. Uh-huh. I mean. He's a good villain. He is. I mean, in Titanic. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a man you love to hate. You yeah. Know, in his in his performances. So, what about the idea of um, Jack the Ripper as a surgeon? I know that that's something which has been tossed oh, yeah, around. That's a bit. been like, one of the you know profile characteristics, uh, but also people had said that he could have been a butcher, you know, because of knowing where the uh, per, certain parts of the human body were uh, when he did his cutting because his cutting didn't seem to be haphazard. So yeah, I think the idea of being a surgeon was maybe that, I, I correct myself, that's probably one profile that he, yeah. he that fit. Let me tell you too that this was um, it, for me as an individual uh, and as a young person was a shocking experience as a young kid. I might have been as young as eleven or twelve when I first found out about this. Because you have the feeling that adults know everything. You know, even if you're trying to hide something from your parents, they find out about it somehow. And then 
when you read about this and hear about this, you know, this is at that time it was close to 100 years, and they hadn't found them. You know, like, where to some adults have not done their homework. You know, just the idea that this person was really out there and unidentified. Because at that time in life, when you're like 9, 10, 11, whether you like it or not, there's a beginning, and a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And in the end, everything is resolved. And you're thinking that these are adults out there and they haven't result, you know, resolved it. And so it was a, a, um, a coming-of-age thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel? Did you, you know, did you just enjoy it as a story? I actually or- feel the way you feel. I felt sort of like the opposite about the story because I mean, like I, I was aware of the Star Trek episode before I ever heard about Jack the Ripper. Yeah. So when I learned about Jack the Ripper, I was like, Oh yeah, Star Trek did a thing about that. I know how that story ends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I didn't have that like open-ended quality. It's like, <laughs> no, they got him. It took him a while, but they got him. They found him in the end. In space, they got him. He's... <laughs> they took him out of commission. In space. Okay. In the future. Well, what, what do you guys think about H.G. Wells? Uh, um, are, are, are you a fan of, of his uh, work? He's a, yeah, a remarkable person. I mean, it's just... Um, it was another one of those times, like, you wonder what was in the water... They were drinking because you had Arthur Conan Doyle, H.G. Wells, George Bernard Shaw. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and these people maybe weren't old buddies, but they communicated with each other. And Bram Stoker. Don't forget Bram Stoker. Yeah, Bram Stoker. (laughs) Exactly. And then I think the Inklings would have come a little bit later. But, I mean, it's like that kind of group. And it was really because the world was smaller, Mm -hmm. just the fact that they met. And knew yeah. each other was, excuse me, I always refer to it like a Warner Brothers movie, you know, but it's accurate where Warner Brothers movies weren't that accurate, where they had these historical people coming together like in the Santa Fe Trail. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I I do like Wells. And also, I, I've started, I've never finished it, his outline of history, um, his social activism, his almost fatalistic attitude towards history. Um, very much mm-hmm. in contrast to an Arthur Conan Doyle. You know, he, he followed a different drummer, even at that you know at that time. Mm-hmm. What about you, Max? Are you a fan of Wells? H.G. Wells? Yeah, sure. I'm a fan of H.G. Wells. I, I haven't read the Time Machine, but uh, I know that they they never refer to the to the main character by name. Yeah. And and a lot of people speculate that the the implication there was that he was saying that it was himself, you know, um, and I kind of thought that the movie was taking its cue from that, where he did write the time machine, for example. But it's like as if the book were written as part of reality, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if that if that works or or not. But I, I I didn't. I don't think it was like super spelled out. But it was there. There is an explicit statement in the movie that like I should be writing about this rather than living it. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, so uh, like he does actually sort of leave the present day San Francisco of the time, present day San Francisco, uh, to go back in time and become a science fiction author mm-hmm. to write about the future rather than being in it. The only thing that conflicts me even with the book. The time machine, and maybe it's because of the times. They're always looking 
mm-hmm. for the future, I'm sorry, I would have gone back. Oh, that's wrong. <laughs> it's the wrong choice. <laughs> yeah, wrong choice. Yeah. I would have. I would have always wanted to go back with the idea that I could be home by, you know, maybe eight, nine o'clock, you know, in my bed, you know, without bugs and every, you know, living in my own home, and then, you know, I'd be willing to get up maybe eight o'clock in the morning, go back out, you know, and you know, my time would be the Reformation, uh, medieval times maybe the Napoleonic era, but why would, you know, I don't really care about the future. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to be there. Okay, I know, I wasn't in the past either, but that that intrigues me more than the future does, so it kind of tells you where my head's at, right? Yeah, says the owner <laughs> of the history bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the other things which which I noticed, which, um, you know, kind of ties back to Star Trek, I guess, is... Uh, you know, I, w- I was never really that familiar familiar with H.G. Wells or his, his work or anything like that. But at one point when he's describing his sort of utopian vision of the future, it seemed eerily similar to the utopian vision of the future which Gene Roddenberry proposed for Star Trek. You know, um, I wonder how influenced Roddenberry was by Wells. People who aren't, you know, like super into Star Trek might not know it, but Star Trek's future is not just the future. It's a future that has not had a war between humans. It's the, the for idea several hundred years. They don't have money anymore. They they got rid of disease somehow. They banned it. <laughs> like like the idea is basically like humanity has evolved to a point where there is, isn't even conflict among people, which is hard when you're writing drama but you know not even when you're trying to choose a pizza topic <laughs> they all agree right away so it, like yeah garlic yeah that works garlic <laughs> garlic i'm on board with garlic are you on board everyone's on board with garlic the klingon wants sausage but he's wrong <laughs> <laughs> well see that's what i mean i mean you're meaning the humans yeah. mm-hmm. have accomplished this yeah not these not not humans these aliens <laughs> slash Anyone else. Yeah. Anyone else. Okay. Yeah. There's then a lot of argument exa- yeah. there. Yeah, I just the idea that in the Star Trek they seem to have a solution. Mm-hmm. You know, just yeah. wait for it. But also, too, it's almost like the concept of non-interference is, you know, through time travel you've mm-hmm. made the realization that you can't change history. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. Like several times they have, they've done movies on uh, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Where a person was there, he knew it was John Wilkes Booth, but for some reason, he just couldn't stop him. Um, I think there's like seven episodes of the Twilight Zone that are about that. <laughs> well, I know of one. Well, yeah, Twilight Zone does one, and I actually have. Well, uh, last night before he, uh, I, before I went to bed, I listened to One Step Beyond, which really wasn't mm-hmm. uh, just all these weird occurrences. That yeah forecasted you know his assassination um but yeah um so what do you feel being star trek people do you think that plays a like why don't they want to interfere in society like something is going perfectly wrong they have the solution why wouldn't they change it i i think the idea behind it is that uh they want um to give societies a chance to evolve on their own. You know, they don't want to impose their own sort of uh, values or technologies or whatever. It's not like they 
want. It's un-Victorian, I'll tell you. It's not. It's not. It's not. They want to blank. It's not. It's not. That's not it. It's not like their their preference is that they don't get involved. Because I mean, their their preference is that they you know they 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 swoop in. They say, "Oh, I hear you got a fatal disease. Well, we've got a cure for it." And then they smile at the camera and a little <laughs> gleam off their teeth, and then they walk away. And then a bunch of groupies follow them. Like obviously, they would love that. But it doesn't work that way because it's just not the way things function in the universe. I mean, like, like evolve is the word because evolution has a very particular way of doing things. And if you interfere in it, you have you, you you're not just interfering with like a process that has, that has like you know, nuances. You're interfering with a process that has its own methods for dealing with problems. And when a problem arises within a system, if that system is incapable of dealing with that problem on its own, then an external force will actually make it possible to destroy the entire thing. The external element can is, is almost always disruptive because the process is it, – it, it's, it's an internal structure. It's, it's you know component A, component B and C – all interconnected. If you bring in component, you know, uh, omega, that screws everything else up, because evolution is an interconnected, weak, like web of connections and interconnections. And but you can do it with the future. It seems like, because in time after time, isn't their purpose to keep Jack the Ripper out of it? So, in other words, you, the future you can mess with. Well, I mean, you can mess with anything. Like you could, I mean, like there's no reason to say that if you go back in time, you can't you can't prevent the death of Abraham Lincoln. It's just that if you go back in time and prevent the death of Abraham Lincoln, uh, things don't just turn out better. Yeah, things like turn out wildly changes. different. Yeah. I mean, like okay. people people say, like, oh, I mean, what if you went back in time and rescued Jesus? And I think, <laughs> I think, wait that, a minute, <laughs> that that might <laughs> be okay. <laughs> But. but at the same time, well, I mean, like, we might end up in a world that's better or worse, but the, I'll tell you one thing, we will not recognize it. <laughs> yeah. no, that's a great, a great analysis. Yeah. You blow the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, you go back in time, you say, Jesus, 2,000 years go by, entire, you know, course of history is different, and, and, and you get into the present day, and like, you don't own a bookstore, you own a book Zeppelin. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know how to use a book Zeppelin. So, so what did you guys think of Malcolm McDowell's performance in this movie, his portrayal of, of Wells? It was like he's a little bit, he was too innocent, too Victorian to be H.G. Wells. I mean, like, that's what makes H.G. H. I mean, the care, the person, the real H.G. Mm-hmm. Wells, it makes him peculiar is he doesn't have a lot of the Victorian characteristics. I might be, as I'm, I, I, it's just that he's too, too naive. I, I guess it's kind of a weird balance because, I mean, he wasn't really of his time, but at the same time, it's like you've, you're telling something from the perspective of something who's like really, you know, not of the time that you're in. So in, in a sense, I guess it's sort of metaphorical taking him and putting him in the future or whatever. But then you, there, there's that weird balance between, you know, kind of like the reality of even like the weirdest, you know, most forward thinking, you know, person, you put them in the future, they're still going to be, you know, it's, I think, it's weird. I think he would have, 
again, this would destroy the whole movie, but I mean, I think he'd be more of an observer, mm-hmm. a note taker. He'd mm-hmm. keep a journal. And you well, do I see that like today. at the beginning, you know, yeah. he's like writing down everything, but then as it progresses, I guess you he know, realizes that know, he's... There are things that are flying mm-hmm. in the sky. You know, I predicted this, but, you know, where are the propellers? Mm-hmm. Again, but you couldn't... That would not make a movie. Yeah. But I would think that an H.G. Wells would have been more of an observer and a note-taker, almost like a witness, so that when he came back to the past... Boy, is that sound would come back. <laughs> Get my time zones. Uh, um, when he, he returned to the before. Yeah. <laughs> he could write down what he had saw saw for the future. Yeah. And I wouldn't share it with people, but I'd start inventing a lot of things <laughs> and putting out a lot of patents. <laughs> I'd like to see him try to patent the airplane. <laughs> he draws like an outline. This totally flies, you guys. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Just with this building, and I'll show you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw your thing about the invisible man. He's <laughs> like, oh, that happened, bro. I saw it on TV. I'm not even... What's the TV? I don't know yet. I have to draw some pictures of that. Yeah, I don't think that, I don't think that it's necessarily an anachronism that H.G. Wells was somewhat Victorian. Because, I mean, while he is a man who, you know, thinks about the future a lot, he's also... A person of his era. I mean, like, he has an internal life. I mean, he also does seem a little bit sheltered. And being sheltered actually makes it possible for your brain and your imagination to go far into the future. But your personality is largely determined by your lifestyle. And his lifestyle Ooh. was sort of... Victorian? Yeah, it was London-bound, you know? Uh-huh. He was he was a man of that that moment. You know, I mean, like... You know, it doesn't matter what kind of person I am. Ultimately, I'm a guy who, in the 90s, um, you know... Um, Wore a jean jacket, you know. Like I, like I can't become a guy who, in the nineties, drove a motorcycle. No matter what I do in my life. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, he he's a man of his era. So it makes sense to me that he would be somewhat Victorian, while he is you know capable of imagining this future. He's not entirely sure how to act in it. Well, um, one one other thing which I want to bring up, um, before we uh. We finish, uh, and that's the similarities between Time After Time and Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, which was also written by Nicholas Meyer. Now, Augie, have you seen Star Trek IV? This is the one where they go back in time to present-day San Francisco to save some whales. Yeah, I have. I okay. have seen that, yeah. Mm-hmm. There are... From Jack the Ripper. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> he, he got into whale murder. It's really weird. He was hanging out with a Japanese guy. And he was like, oh, I hear that's really fun. <laughs> but, you know, the idea of, you know, it's again, you know, uh, fish out of wa- water story, you know. Um, literally. Literally. No, it's time. a mammal. <laughs> it's a mammal. <laughs> this time it's, it's uh, you know, people from the future coming back to, to 1986. But again, it's San Francisco. There's a lot of the same gags in there even. You know, uh, structurally is very similar. You know, the idea of uh, the time traveler falling in love with, um, you know, a woman who doesn't feel at home in her time and, you know, ends up, you know, coming back with him to what to the time period that he's in she has kind of a lame job she bails on it without a second thought (laughs) that's very very strange the idea that you know he would agree to to do that you know a second time and i know that he was a little worried about it he asked them to set 
you know, the Star Trek movie in Paris and everything because he was worried about the similarities. Mm-hmm. But it's it's strange how how close the two of those are. And, I mean, he even talks about it in his book, like some of the gags which didn't work in time after time, which he ended up cutting out, he then revisited in in Star Trek IV. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for, for those listeners who are fans of Star Trek IV, if you want to see sort of an early version of that, a first draft. Nobody likes Star Trek IV. <laughs> so um, any, any final thoughts on uh, time after time? I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the enjoyed it so much as I told you I've got the soundtrack to yeah. it and I do have it I think probably uh, a video of the movie too so yeah I guess I'd say I like yeah. it yeah, and I'm here you know talking to you about it so yeah. yes I I enjoyed it as a movie a concept yeah. I could have probably done better but you know <laughs> I didn't have the money <laughs> no no I I liked it I liked it what about you Max Any- it's a it's 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 fine. It's it's an acceptable movie. I you know I I I find um, stories where things get screwed up uh, scientifically irritating, and I'm really irritated by the way um, <laughs> by the way Jack the Ripper is killed in this movie because it's very strange. His um his his weird um like non dramatic disintegration. Mm-hmm. But they did set that up earlier, and and it plays dramatically in the whole. Term in the in the chess element and and whatnot. But. Sure, it's just it's it's a frustrating sequence of events. Uh, and and you know, I, as as a person who focuses on the science, I'm frustrated by the idea that he could sit there in the time machine and then see all of these things happening right in front of him, and nobody in that entire you know hundred years or so looks at the time machine and goes, "Why is that guy sitting there? <laughs> yeah. How long has, has he always been there?" <laughs> Why is how come he isn't covered in bird poop and dust? He should be, right? That makes sense. Well, I, I I was also very fond of this movie. Um, I think it's a, it's an interesting first film, um, especially for for Meyer. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, more than anything, I just think it's it's fun. You know, it's just the idea of uh, you know taking these people and and putting them into you know modern day society i think that's an interesting way to look at how crazy modern day society is um in a kind of particular way so uh yeah i i enjoyed the movie quite a bit too yeah life in 70s san francisco sure is weird these days (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i i I really kind of like the way star trek even post uh time after time has done that Mm -hmm. i like to see spock with uh you know, wearing a, uh, a, what do you call it, a knit cap to cover up his yeah. ears. You know? <laughs> you know, and observing these people on the bus and how they behave. Yeah, yeah. Especially the guy who's going to, was it the hoodlum or something like that? Who's but th- you just don't do that when a Star Trek person's on board your, <laughs> on your bus, you know? With the, uh, with the, the, um, the radio, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, that was, was actually in his really, book. He talks really about how me so much. That <laughs> <scene>. <laughs> he he doesn't like that because it, it's it's he thinks that Spock's being fascist. But that <laughs> he is, he absolutely is. He's but, like, oh, you're being irritating. Oh, I know. I'll just knock you out with a violent action. But but in, in Meyer's memoirs, okay. he talks about how that he he brings up that specific gag as being something which. Um, didn't work in time after time. There was a scene. Because who would believe H.G. Wells like like just 
using no, his cane no, to like no, no. crack a dude's the, knee. The, the, the way he's that being irritating on a bus. The way that it worked in in uh, in time after time was H. G. Wells was walking down the street, like he was waiting at a crosswalk, and there was an Asian guy with a huge radio was blaring rock music. And, you know, Wells was like, you know, just tries to like run away from him as quickly as he can, you know, whatever, because it was so terrible. And then like later on in the story, you know, like a while later, um, he's he's talking to Mary Steenburgen, I think. And she says, like, you know, what what kind of music do you like? And he says, anything but Oriental. <laughs> and he said it just didn't play. People forgot about the yeah. thing earlier. They didn't understand what was going on. So he cut the joke. And then recycled it and put it into Star Trek Four. So, anyway, um, Augie, where, where where can people find you? You know, um, seventy four nineteen Madison Street, Forest Park, midway between uh, Harlem and uh, Circle, on the north side of the street. And I like to call it a blood red awning, but it's uh, burgundy and got a lot of neat activities going on. And I think it's a, a good setting what we're we're out to do definitely for sure you know for those people in chicago or those people coming to chicago be sure to come to forest park and check it out because it's really great thank you that's pretty much it for for today uh as always you can find us at commentarytrackstars.com or on twitter at comtrackstars or you can check us out on track fm i leave a comment on the forums presumably uh, where we are now yep yeah. and uh we we will be back uh next week to talk about Nicholas Meyer's second movie, The Day After. 